It's the show Agent Orange slash Adolf Twitler would love to shut down. So here's the story, folks. I am the least black person that you've ever seen in your entire life. In fact, we did very well relative to racist people. It's the no bullshit zone. It's called fake news. It's the Shaggy Jenkins Show. I know who you are. Just wait. On the Pacifica Radio Network. It's the Shaggy Jenkins Show on the Pacifica Radio Network. Welcome back to another fun-filled edition of... Oh my God, another week in review, and boy, do we have a lot to cover, including co-sentencing the uh, National Enquirer coming out and saying it was complicit, uh, murder, racism, and white privilege, and so much more in the week that was. Before we get into all of that, welcome to my show. My name's Shaggy Jenkins. I'm a critical thinker, problem solver, guy just left of normal insane, and always found at my website, shaggyjenkins.com or wherever fine social media is served at Shaggy Live. Joining me from the windy city of Chicago, of course, is Knowledge Base himself, the very saintly Chris Base. Uh, you have overcome for I am here. How's it going, Shaggy? Uh, well, it's going all right, Chris. How's it going with you? It's going. You know, I can't complain for an old man. I mean, I would, but it's too cold to say, get off my lawn, you kids. <laughs> oh, God. Look, man, my sister is in North Carolina, and she's planning to come out here to Maui very soon. And she was okay. telling me today, she goes, that trip cannot happen fast enough with this cold snap. Yeah, good for her, man. Get a chance to uh, get warm because... I'm telling you, it's uh, cold in the witch's teeth in the steel brazier around here, man. So you got to stay warm. Ooh. Oh, well, let's that's, start. That's, that's cold. That's, that's cold. <laughs> but let's go ahead and say that's not as cold as going and doing that infamous thing that we're not supposed to be done, thanks to New Jack City, snitching. It's really a cold day in the White House today, isn't it? It is. I'm sure they're wearing parkers and sweaters and scarves and, you know, mittens and the like, because it's just um, probably a little bit too empty, a lot bit too cold and drafty. Yeah, because, look, this is the big story of the week. Michael Cohen has been sentenced to three years in prison for his role in the whole campaign finance Russian collusion individual one kind of conspiracy. And Chris... This hits really close to home for Donald Trump, doesn't it? Well, as we know by now, you know, when you do all that fixing, he was called to fix it for 10 years and helping him out getting into, you know, the presidency, he expected, like most people, to, you know, work in the White House, to have a, a, some sort of position or accompaniment of the president and never got it at all. So you would think that, again, I used to, what I said before, nothing has no more fury that a Cohen scorned, and I think he felt some sort of way and realized that if he was able to uh, turn his back on 45, he did just that. Yeah, and, and this is the thing about his testimony. It is, in a word, very damning, because what he is basically alleging to, to, to have done is to manipulate an election by paying off somebody for silence. It, a lot of people, Chris, just take this as um, the lawyer being pay, uh, paying off the porn star and paying off the Playboy model just to keep them quiet. But it goes a lot deeper because when and for what reasons he paid them for, doesn't it? Well, yes, because he realized and his team realized 
uh, his team, meaning uh, Cohen, that this come back to hurt him and come back to bite him. So what you do, of course, you give the hush money to the people to shh, be quiet, shush, don't say anything, because we have bigger stakes right here. So you give them the hush money to be quiet and, and move along with business as usual. Yeah, and well, when it comes to uh, business as usual with Michael Cohen, um, this is the thing. He said that business as usual is absolutely 180 degrees different than the narrative put forward by Donald Trump, Rudy Giuliani, and everybody in Trump's defense right now. Now, this is my question for you. When it comes to this, this, this Cohen findings report, the actual thing that was filed, how much of this leads directly back to the White House? All of it. You had to remember. Remember back in April when he, his, you know, in Cohen's um, office was raided, his other departments were raided because he was doing something nefarious and illegal. So when you go back to that, of course, once again, being a fixer, this man fixed everything for Donald Trump. So if you combine that with the fact that having that history, that yes, all roads lead back to Trump. So look at the timeline of the whole thing. I can only imagine what the FBI got out of all the papers and information they got from them. Uh, yeah, because see, here's the deal. <clears throat> In kind of one of the biggest twists to this story, and I am talking like M. Night Shyamalan level of twisting here, the National Enquirer, the magazine that is kind of owned by a friend of Donald Trump's, the National Enquirer has come forward and said in a statement that AMI did process a payment of $150,000 to Karen McDougal for her to remain silent in order to influence public opinion about a candidate in the 2016 election. With this statement being added from the National Enquirer backing up what Cohen said, how likely is Trump to still deny this reality? There's always a, a line that says, you know, commit to the bit. So if this is the biggest bit we've ever seen, Trump is going to go all the way with it. I don't know what you're talking about. It's not me. Somebody looked like me. Somebody had possible orange hair. He's going to go all the way with it because he got to stick with the lie. Because the lie has to be truthful for people to believe. Now, you don't believe it's the truth. That's why you have pushback. So he can say all he wants to. People know that the time is nigh. The time is near for Trump and all these implications coming forward. Now, this is the thing about Trump and, and, and this latest whole kind of Michael Cohen revelation. Now, with the National Enquirer coming forward and saying, hey, look, we're backing up Cohen here and saying that, yes, indeed, we did, in fact, pay off somebody for directly, well, too directly, I should say, influence the presidential election, public opinion. We've went from um, what Donald Trump, and this is the funny thing about this, because I got to ask you, Chris, <clears throat> Donald Trump said that this is just kind of a civil matter and that it was just a bunch of adults paying each other for adult things so it's not really a crime is donald trump a legal expert uh if he is then i own disney world so of course no he's not and we all know this so what's happening here is someone who constantly believes that everything he says uh will be embraced going back to trump and we all know it's not going to happen but he tries anyway. The man is in the 70s. He's not going to change. 
And he's got to stick with the story, like I said before in the conversation. What's happening here is that it's the dismantling of his connection to Cohen, to Stormy Daniels, to the Playboy model, to everybody. It's, it's going away. And so he knows that he has to continue this farce because he cannot admit that, oh, I lied. No, it's too late. You're, you're in too deep. Yeah, and, and this is the thing. <clears throat> when we're talking deepness here, when we're talking about really getting into the deep, yeah, um, <clears throat> we are very deep in a case now that directly implicates the president of the United States in a federal offense. And Chris, here's the funny thing. Now, you know uh, Representative Adam Schiff, right? Yes. Yeah. Did you know that he also came up today just, well, actually yesterday he did this on a statement with uh, CNN, basically came forward and said, you know, I'm going to end all this debating stuff right now. The Constitution says you can indict a sitting president. And rumor has it that Donald Trump has been very, very nervous when it comes to the I impeachment word. Now, from everything that we've seen so far from the, 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 the Democrats that are about to come into the House, how panicky should Donald Trump actually be when it comes to that big I word? He's in for a fight, probably the battle of his life. And as we segue and go into the whole thing between what we saw with Trump and Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, I think we've seen probably, and I go along with the pundits on TV and radio about this, a dip into the future when it comes to the next two years of the presidency. It's gonna be a it's gonna be a whole out fight. And I and I hope that people realize that someone like him, you, you gotta speak his language. You, you just can't sit there and not be mean spirited, but you have to fight fire with fire to some degree. Because if you you try to be reasonable with the forty five, this is not going to happen. You're gonna be met with insults, you're gonna be met with uh fire and brimstone. Uh, folding of the arms, I can't get my way, man-child behavior. Well, as long as we're talking about man-type behavior, I, and I do want to bring this up. Let's let's get away from the Cohen, the National Enquirer, and all the stuff that Donald Trump has dug himself into and talk about the, the hole he is digging himself into. <clears throat> Chris, did you see the meeting between Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi? Uh, I want to say that Mike Pence was there, but... I don't know. And Donald Trump? <laughs> I, I did see that. Uh, it was very unusual because when you watch the thing unfold and play out, it was Nancy Pelosi and also Chuck Schumer that mentioned in the course of the conversation that we should have this conversation behind closed doors. It was 45 that wanted the cameras to stay in the room. So he wanted an audience because, as you know, he thrives off of that. When he goes to Barnstorm, when he's in front of a public venue, he loves that. You know, he, 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 he savors it. So the same can be said of being in front of a camera. So when you have these cameras in the room and he's having this dialogue between Pelosi and Schumer, he wanted to show up and show out. Now, this is the thing that was really kind of uh, <clears throat> skin-crawlingly bad about this whole situation, Chris. Um, mm -hmm. Would you say that when it comes to Donald Trump and the term mansplaining, the president of the United States might have a problem? He does. He, he cannot put things into words because he's emotionally charged. 
like I said before about being a man child, he's probably more child than man. And he cannot comport himself to be uh, presidential. He cannot comport himself in the public as just being a decent human being from the standpoint of having a decent conversation. And I liked how Nancy Pelosi was. She was very calm, very collective. You know, her voice was very monotone, was trying to be you know, very professional about it. And again, with Trump, you got the insults and things of that nature. And don't be wrong, all three of them are going all forward. But when you look at him, going back to Trump, the body language, and all three of them were kind of like, you know, one time sitting back and then sitting up and showing, you know, how much they were trying to prove a point. Going back to Schumer real quick, Schumer told the president, he gave him out like a lifeline. We have a provision here that all sides will agree on, Democrats, Republicans, so that we won't have to build this wall. You'll get government funding, but not shut the government down. And, of course, you saw Trump turning it down because he said, and I quote, I'll be proud to shut the government down. Proud. Now, this is the thing. Chuck Schumer at that point was like, you will own the government shutdown. And the president said, yes. Now, as far as owning government shutdowns, whichever party is the one that's responsible for the shutdown, they're usually seen as the bad people. Having the president own a shutdown before a shutdown happens is pretty damaging to the GOP if you think about it, isn't it? Of course it is. And that's why the GOP is uh, are very weak at this point to allow this president to go on his behavior pattern. Now, I'm sure, once again, you could be a part of any type of organization and disagree with the people involved. you got to disagree with this president. Now, if I was uh, conservative, which I'll never be, but first thing, an argument, and I don't have three sticks on the back of my head like 45 does, if I was a conservative, I would be completely pissed off at how he represents us. Because you can't sit there and say, once again, he fell for the trick bag. When Schumer said, you're going to own it? Yeah, yeah, I'll own it. Okay, stupid, there we go. Yeah. He got you on camera. You know, he got you on, 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 on record saying you own this. Now, last I checked, when the government shuts down, it doesn't matter if you're Democrat, independent, or conservative, or GOP. People will not be working during that time. No, nobody will be working. Nobody will be getting a paycheck. And and here's the right. thing. <clears throat> 13 Republican women basically came forward this week and said, hey, we're looking around and realizing that the Republican Party has a little bit problem with diversity. And, oh, look how many women they are on the other side of the aisle versus here. When it comes to Donald Trump and the GOP right now, can we say that their vision is rather myopically white? I would say so, yes, because that's what they deal with. You're used to a certain uh, scope of lens. They don't want to change your prescription. If you see on the other side of the aisle of the Democrats, especially this past midterm election, you will see when they take their picture you know, in front of Congress and everything else for the press to see, for the public to see, probably the most diverse representation of this country ever. And I, and I bet you down to a donut, you will witness that, depending on, once again, your lens. Mm-hmm. People of color, women, diverse um, backgrounds of religion. That's what America is supposed to be. Not the America that he talks about, but the America as is. Yeah, because I am sorry, if you're looking at the GOP lineup for the Senate that he was so proud to brag about in front of Chuck Schumer, which, by the way, I love that Chuck Schumer goes, you're going to brag about Indiana and South Dakota. And right, he goes, right. He goes, yeah, I'm going to brag about them. And Chuck Schumer just kind of goes, 
okay, you know. Yep. That was was another early birthday uh, Christmas present because he bought right into it. You know, and this is the thing. I explained this on the show earlier this week. When it came to those two states that Donald Trump was bragging about, they are not that highly populated and overwhelmingly white people. So, of course, that is kind of like winning an archery contest where you're standing one foot away from the target. Now, this is the thing. With this, this, this confrontation that happened, I, this is what mansplaining is. I kind of want to circle back to this because it says sure. when, when it comes to mansplaining, mansplaining is a man or male explaining something to someone, typically a woman, in a manner either con- uh, regarded as condescending or patronizing. And we saw in front of the nation, Chris, Donald Trump, after being warned by 13 Republican women, we need to do something about our image with women. We saw Donald Trump time and time and time again mansplain Nancy Pelosi's position. This is the this is one very simple question I got to ask you. Does he know what actually happened in the midterm election? Probably not, because let's go back to how he is when it comes to the standpoint of how he treats women and the viewpoint of women. Let's go back to before he became president. So when he's in the debate back on Fox News and he had the thing with Megyn Kelly and sparred back and forth and he mentioned something about, you know, he wanted to see her bleed, her eyes red and bleeding off her orifices and stuff like that. That's that's not only disturbing, but you should be you should be checked mentally because what is it with him when it comes to women uh, and um, and blood? For example, he's done it to a few women, as far as the standpoint of that type of description. Um, the one that's on with Morning Joe, mm. uh, Mika. Mika. He said it about her, too. Right, Mika, about her plastic surgery. So, again, and, of course, our infamous ground by the P. You can see his demeanor of women, even in the Oval Office with Nancy Pelosi. You saw it for yourself. Yeah, now, this is the thing. I'm just going to throw this out here. As long as you mentioned Donald mm-hmm. Trump's fascination with women in blood. Mm-hmm. This is not a guy that goes and shops for feminine hygiene products. Well, I hope not. God. But, okay, this is the thing, because this was a bloody mess. It was supposed to be, for the most part, let's just kind of explain what these pressers are supposed to be. It's supposed Mm -hmm. to show the American public that the government is actually working together, despite the polarization that happens around the, 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 the election cycles because every time the election cycles come out, everybody's attack, attack, attack. And then there's these press conferences like this one was supposed to be where it's like, OK, well, the attacks are over and it's now back to the business of being a responsible government. Did we see a picture of responsible governance from that press conference? No, what we saw was, again, I reiterate, the next two years of government between this presidency and the new uh, Democrats, of course, are coming in alongside uh, Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer. Uh, There was a quote that Pelosi said, so I don't think we should have a debate in front of the press on this. Now, this is what Pelosi said, but again, Trump, again and again, was going on because, again, he loves the cameras. They tried, meaning Pelosi and Schumer, to be diplomatic, to say we shouldn't have the conversation in front of the press, but maybe at the same time it was meant to be because we got into a glimpse of the future of this government. 
Yeah, and when it comes to that glimpse into the future, it is looking, if I was the ghost of Trump's future, I would just be like, run, run, impeachment is coming. Because this is the thing. When Donald Trump got in front of Nancy and Schumer, Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, and I say that he forgot what happened in the midterm, does he not realize that he was talking to the chief representatives of the party that's about to have House subpoena power? I don't think he recognizes their title. I think he just sees them as Nancy and Chuck, and that's about it. And as you said earlier in the conversation about um, Vice President Mike Pence, I mean, in the spirit of the holiday season, not a creature was stirring, not even a Pence. You know, I, I got to say this. There is so many pictures going around on Twitter and on Facebook and, and even Instagram of hashtag Mike Pence sleeping. Did you <laughs> did it actually look like because I watched the whole thing and I mean, he looked like zombie Pence for sure. But did, did you notice that he kind of caught some 40 winks in this? Uh, probably 45 winks to be in line with his boss. You know, he pretty much laid in the cut. You know, I'm going to let them fight. I'll just sit back and dream of presidencies dancing in my head. I, yeah, because I'm going to go ahead and throw a limb out there. I think that he was actually trying to, much like Comey did, like when he mm -hmm. met Donald Trump for the first time. I think that he's, yeah. he's trying to fade into the background. Like, you remember in Sherlock Holmes, when uh, Sherlock Holmes, uh, the, the Robert Downey Jr. version, dressed right. up as mm -hmm. the chair? And, and, and yes, so I, I remember that. Yeah, I think Mike Pence was trying to be that chair. Yeah, that's our nickname for him, uh, Mike Pence, the chair. M Mike Pence, the chair. Okay, so... Right. This is the thing. Okay, so Mike Pence uh, was not there in that meeting because nobody, and I mean, this is kind of crazy, nobody has talked about any part of Mike Pence in that meeting, yet he was sitting in the dead center of the shot. And, you know, I think that was done on purpose. No, we may not give Mike Pence a little more credit than we want to give him. I mean, he's probably sitting back waiting for Trump to continue to open mouth, insert gas, constantly put his foot and all about the body parts in his mouth. And every time he embarrasses himself, people think about a possible impeachment. He should be moved from office. And who's up next? There you go right there. We know Mr. Quiet like a mouse Pence. Mm -hmm. Now, the funny thing is about Pence being so quiet is that at the end of the day, he's going to be the one that can walk away from this and say, well, I knew for a fact that we were going to have to work with the Democrats. I wasn't combative. I didn't do that. It's like, yeah, because I'm really having a hard time remembering if you were there, Mr. Vice President. Right, exactly right. He can, he can come up. He, he can use it as a political platform. Like you just said, hey, you know, cooler heads prevailed. I'm the one that calmed everything down. I was the one that sat back and let them go back and forth when we have to work. He could be, quote, unquote, a new voice of reason. Now, this is the thing about this whole scenario, too, Chris, because I, I, I want to ask you, is this deliberate behavior on the part of Mike Pence with the current situation in D.C.? I would say so. It's kind of strange because if you go back to, say, around the time the Helsinki thing was about to happen and they were going over there for other meetings in different countries, there was a, a, a table scene where everybody's sitting down and the president had his bottle of water and he put it on the floor 
And then Mike Pence looked at him, copied that, put on the floor too. So everything he was mimicking from the president is to keep his job. I think for some reason he's laying in the cut, waiting for him, meaning 45, to make the biggest faux pas of all time. Then that way he can come into the play because his behavior pattern with the president, he just mimics what he does. But in this situation, he knew not to mimic. He knew to be quiet. So I don't know, man. We we have to take a Take a look at Pence. He's probably a little sneaky, sneaky over there. I, you know, this is the thing. I didn't picture him as this until you brought it up. But he is literally the Jane Goodall of of the White House. He is the there Trump whisperer. He's he's Trump's in the mist. He's uh, ooh, he put the banana on the floor. Put the banana on the floor. Don't don't anger right. the alpha silverback. Um, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, final thoughts on this because, like I said, we were supposed to be able to see a government that was going to look very cooperative with each other. They're very hey, hunky-dory with each other, and we didn't see that. Is no. this looking good for the rest of the country, Chris? No, it doesn't, because we're always in the crossfire as citizens of this country. And we have to take note of that, because when we see them, meaning going back to Trump, Pelosi, and Schumer, having it out in the government, it affects us. And sometimes we have to put ourselves in the equation, because... They represent us, going back to Democrats, Republicans, and all like that representation of who we are. Now, I don't want to get into a fight or verbal fisticuffs with other people, other parties. I want what's right across the board for everyone. But see, that's too much like right, and you're going to have this constant battling between all these figureheads. But once again, the president, who is just, I don't know, like you said earlier, a connotation about New Jack City, he's Nino Brown. You know, or in this situation, Nino Orange. If I go down, everybody goes down. Yeah, well, that's just it. I think when it comes to the week that was with Donald Trump, it's pretty much safe to say that both engines on are, are on fire, and he's about ready yeah. to make a nice fat crater, isn't he, Chris? Yes, he is. Absolutely. Oh, God. All right. Well, uh, look, we got to take a uh, quick break. But when we get back in just a sec, we've got a couple of sensitive stories to talk about. One dealing with a very real problem of white privilege in this country and the other one dealing with a young death and the, the terrible reasons behind it. Now, if you want to know how sad the real state of America is, not just the Trump stuff... But the nation at large, stay close as we cover it up on the Weekend Review right here. It is the Shaggy Jenkins Show. This is Scientific American's 60-Second Science. I'm Christopher Intagliata. Long before dolphins swam the seas, their near-lookalike ichthyosaurs inhabited the Earth's oceans. Now scientists say those ancient seafaring reptiles may have had more in common with modern-day sea turtles and marine mammals than we knew. Over time, a dead animal's bones can be slowly replaced by minerals, leaving behind a rocky fossil. 
The researchers demineralized the 180-million-year-old fossil of an ichthyosaur, and it left behind soft, flexible tissues. Which is kind of amazing. Johan Lindegrain, a paleontologist at Lund University in Sweden. It turns out that the skin is still there uh, with cells and cellular organelles and even traces of the original biomolecular makeup. Those remains revealed that the ichthyosaur sported camouflage, appropriate for its underwater environment. Light on the bottom, darker on top, just like many marine animals have today. The researchers also found a black, glossy substance that was harder to identify, so they collected dead sea turtles and porpoises and mimicked fossilization by heating and squashing the creature's skin, which led them to realize that the darker substance in the ichthyosaur fossil must be blubber. So from having blubber, we can say that to some extent the ichthyosaur must have been warm-blooded, so to say at least to the same degree as the modern leatherback turtle. The write-up and photos of the fossil are in the journal Nature. And there's one more intriguing secret contained in the remains, protonaceous material, which makes you wonder if you sequenced it, could you go backwards and reconstruct the DNA that coded for the proteins? In other words... Bingo! Dino DNA! Of course, ichthyosaurs were not dinosaurs, but the Jurassic Park methodology is what's important. So could we resurrect ones starting from their protein sequences? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, perhaps. (laughs) We should never say never. Thanks for listening. For Scientific American's 60 Second Science, I'm Christopher Intagliata. Get involved, get informed. This is the Shaggy Jenkins Show on the Pacifica Radio Network. It's the Shaggy Jenkins Show on the Pacifico Radio Network. Welcome back to it. If you have never checked out anything about this show and want to learn more about it, go to our website at shaggyjenkins.com or wherever fine social media is served. Look for me at Shaggy Live. Now, this is the, the, the big show of the week, and it's the one where we have to go through the big stories. And no man's brain is bigger when it comes to these kind of things than correspondent from Chicago, the man, the myth, the information base. Please give it up for St. Chris Base. Oh, man, thank you very much. Like I said before, look over both shoulders to make sure you got the right person. So I am here. Yeah. Now, we have got to talk about the right people and how you're not supposed to mess with the wrong people. Can we say that ever since her father died, Meghan McCain is, quote-unquote, the wrong woman to mess with these days? Uh, Depending on where you pick your battles at. Uh, she is a person that's very combative. Uh, uh, the staff of the view behind the scenes call her the ice princess. I believe that. And she's just one of those people that as a conservative, again, I would be embarrassed because you don't have to behave in that, uh, that type of manner of behavior. You don't have to be mean. Yeah. And well, this is the thing though. We always ascribe the meanness of the Republicans and the conservative movement to men. When it comes to, to, to Meghan McCain, you know, she's, she's proven once and all, for all the bitches back. Now, yeah. this is the thing about her latest kind of, well, <clears throat> public outcry. This is the thing. She, she kind of got mad for all the wrong reasons over Trump's latest ousting, did she not? Yeah, she did. And I said it before on my show and other programs before. I watch The View. When I get up in the morning and I have my tea and go over notes of the day, I'm going over 
uh, talking head programs like The View, depending on who's the guest I like. I can like anybody from Senator Tuck Schumer to, say, actor Michael B. Jordan. So it varies across the board. So I do watch it, and I notice over time with the entrance, the starring of Meghan McCain, who formerly was on Fox, she has a habit of feeling that she's the only person on the panel. She'll get no love. And nobody's embracing her. But again, we look at her stance on how it is. Uh, she was very unpopular amongst her you know, other co-hosts and the audience. And she has this thing real quick about audience embracement. She has the habit of turning to the audience if they clap for her. It's like, oh, you like me. You really, really like me type thing. And I was like, that's kind of embarrassing, you know, to uh, have that type. Not saying that you shouldn't appreciate somebody applauding for you, but because it's very limited, when it happens, it's like, oh, let's go out and celebrate. Everybody's applauding for me. Now, this is the thing about uh, the, the, that whole debacle that it went down, okay? <clears throat> when it come to the, the, the news this week that everybody was thinking was going to be the big narrative, which was John Kelly out by the end of the year. Everybody thought that was going to be the bombshell as we started this week. And then uh, the other bombshell started happening. But this is the thing about the John Kelly story. John Kelly is a man that, 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 dare I say, Chris, has a reputation for being a little bit of a bigot, misogynistic racist, does he not? Absolutely. Now, when it comes to his behavior in the past, John Kelly has really pulled no punches whatsoever about, I guess you could say, making it known that he does not give a flying F about what people think. Uh, he's famously supported the child separation policy at the border. He has also right. attacked uh, members of Congress, the House of Representatives, who <clears throat> are people of color, and he attacked them in kind of dog-whistle-esque ways of uh, enforcing his white, almost white-as-right view that seems to be Donald Trump's whole administration's platform. So this is the thing. And, and I, I'm, I'm analyzing this from, we, we talked last week about him not being really the adult in the, the room, and, and we went over the whole fact that as much as the GOP pinned their hopes on this guy, he really didn't have any effect in taming down a Donald Trump. But was he, from a moral and ethical standpoint, Chris, was this guy really the right superhero for these people? I think in the beginning, yes, if you look at it from the standpoint, again, about being, quote, unquote, the adult in the room, being a general, uh, being having the acumen of the, uh, the military, and you would think that that type of discipline, that type of acumen, coming into a White House is obviously in disarray, that he will provide some leadership, some ground rules, things of that nature. But when you mentioned about, you know, supporting the acts of the Mexican-U.S. border, separating of families and things of that nature, and going back to, say, the Congresswoman, uh, Frederica I think it was Wilson, I guess I got her name correct. Yes, she did. Uh, from, uh, right, from uh, Florida. That type of situation, you know, going after her and then not apologizing for his remarks and going to stand true to what he believed in. That gave me pause because, like everybody else, I could put politics to the side for the betterment of the government. I may not like the government, but I like the president. For everybody involved, I support what America should stand for. But he went in there and just did not have uh, the wherewithal to have leadership, to have uh, what we thought could be a good acumen, and it just fell to pieces. It really did, because this is the thing. 
John Kelly as the supposed adult in the room. And, and, and you know, getting back to what kicked this whole thing off, Meghan McCain's whole, you know, reaction towards it. Look, when it comes to the GOP, they're openly applauding people with questionable moral thinkings. And John Kelly, at the end of the day, was just as questionable as the next guy in Trump's inner circle, wasn't he? Of course he was. And in the era now of 24-hour media and the Internet, you will be fact-checked. So you just can't get away with saying stuff, say, 25 years ago uh, with a maybe longer process to interview. These interviews, from the standpoint of somebody's background or investigating, you know, could be a little more quicker uh, to the timeline. So no matter who you are, what you say is going to come up for a question for who you are and what you said. So you just can't um, have a certain personality and people say, wait a minute, that's not right. Or wait a minute, he said that? Now, wait a minute, so people are going to question you all the time. So going back to Kelly and his whole time in the White House, mm-hmm. you, can't have, you can't have two masters. What I mean by that is maybe Trump and Kelly were too much alike. That Somebody is- has to go. Yeah, yeah. Now, and this is the thing too, because when we're as long as we're talking about people that are masters and top-down kind of thinking in this country, as goes the attitude toward civilization, society, uh, openness, acceptance, equality, as the the attitude in the White House goes. So goes the country, and we saw that example when it came to Megyn Kelly jumping to the defense of John Kelly who has in the past, sorry, Megan McCain, jumping to the defense of John Kelly, uh, who has in the past shown some rather racially biased thinking. And, And a story this week out of Alabama, Chris, not only did it break my heart, but it's kind of, of, of saying why this kind of stuff that people like John Kelly and Donald Trump do openly, why it's dangerous. This week, it came out that a nine-year-old girl by the name of Mackenzie Adams had committed suicide because, as a young black girl, she was being picked on for having a white male classmate friend. Nothing romantic. She's nine years old. It was just a friendship, somebody that she shared some common interest in stuff. And Chris, I'm not going to give this story away. I'm going to let you take it from here because I almost broke down the last time I had to say this. Why did she commit suicide? Uh, She committed suicide because her classmates were getting on her for having a white friend. Uh, Some of the comments uh, that they said that she was bullied the entire school year with words such as kill yourself. You think you're white because you ride with that white boy, you ugly black bitch. Just die. And when again, when I was reading this, like you, I got tears in my eyes. I got two daughters. And I was reading this. I'm like, first of all, that got to my mindset was, where did these children get this you die and kill yourself mentality from? These are children. Now, let's go back to when I went to grammar school, which was, of course, you know, walking to school 25 miles and, you know, brick and mortar type stuff. Mm -hmm. We didn't I didn't hear anything about when I was bullied about killing myself. Never. It was never that. But what kind of mentality? Where is this coming from? It's coming from uh, the parents that they're I mean, is it coming from uh, the Internet? 
when you hear this type of language, that is detrimental. They shouldn't be using language like that in the first place. The bullying is going to continue on. I'm glad nowadays people see how much bullying is vitally important because I think with certain people in administrations, not all of them, they kind of brushed away as a rite of passage. No, this is this is possible life and death. We see this happening. This young girl had transferred from a school prior to this time because of bullying. So now she goes from one school to another school, and the same thing happens, if not worse, and she unfortunately hangs herself. Yeah, and, and this is the thing. <clears throat> she is is not a lone story. Although that the, 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 her age made her national headlines, Chris, overwhelmingly in the United States, we underreport people of color, minority communities, suicide death rates. And we do that because reasons. Now, when it comes to this story, though, and, and I hate to say this, but this is not an un- common story in America, is it? No, it's not. And that goes back to the media not covering it because, again, the media has its standards of what they deem is important. So that's a whole different conversation for another program. But at this time right now, talking about um, this young girl, when you look at the pressure that children have, for example, when you and I are going to school, this is way before the internet, obviously, we left school, depending on your time, when, in my situation, 3.15, if you had a beef with somebody, you went and fought after school in the play yard, and then you had a fisticuffs and everything else. Then you went home, did your homework, had supper, you know, got cleaned up, went to bed, did the whole thing the next day. You had a break in between going to school and going home. On the Internet, there is no break. It's all 24 hours. So you are bullied in real life and in cyber. Mm. And that's why the cyber bullying comes into play. Now, this is the thing, too, because Melania Trump would tell us that we need to be best. But when it comes to the top-down example, and this is kind of the thing that I was alluding to with people like Meghan McCain, that as much as America wants to embrace her because she's the daughter of John McCain, she does tend to have some kind of outlandish thoughts, you know? Not exactly America's yes, sweetheart. Uh, and, and when it comes to... Other people, like Donald Trump, who's a dog whistler, full show, uh, and, well, people of his cabinet, I don't want to go through all the names. All this behavior seems to be registering, at least among Americans, as safe behavior. And and this is the thing. When it comes to these white, racist, supremacist-type thinking people, they're seeing from a top-down approach that the White House is saying, hey, it's okay to be openly racist. And they're spreading that message to their kids because I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb as saying that I am a parent of a small white child and never once has she ever told anyone to kill themselves. I'm thinking it has to do something with the way that she was being raised. How do I know I'm her father? So this stuff is clearly racist nurturing versus racist nature in this country, isn't it? It is. It, you, this is learned behavior. You don't come out being a racist. You're taught that. You're learned that. Somebody, your family, your friends, um, associates, instill these quote-unquote values or mindsets in you and either, depending on your age, embrace it or not. For example, uh, there was a viral video that came out about a week ago, 
and his uh, father is showing his 10-year-old daughter walking to school. He's punishing her because she was on the bus bullying people. And he mm-hmm. said for a week straight, she's going to walk to school. Now, some people could say that that's not right. I applaud it. I think it was fantastic because he's not doing anything wrong. He's trying to instill a value in the child to say, look, we didn't teach you that. How dare you like a bully on the bus? So now since you can't be on the bus and suspended, you're going to walk for a week. Yeah. And I, look, this is the thing. Anytime that you're trying to reinforce your child's positive for communal worldviews, you know, like not being a racist prick, not being misogynist, right. bigoted or anything like that. Anytime that you're actively educating your child to do that. I think you're actually working towards making the world a better place. But it seems like as of late, people around Donald Trump and specifically the white people that support Donald Trump, uh, time and time again, they seem to be going, the rules don't really apply to us like that. Well, that's because they come from a background, that same thing. They don't believe that there are no rules. You know, how dare you, you know, challenge me or question me because... I know it was a question to challenge you. It, it must be great. It must be, I mean, fantastic to have an ego where you think that the rules don't apply to you, that you are just above everybody. You must be, uh, I don't know, uh, somewhat immortal in your behavior pattern. And it must be swell. It really must be. I don't I don't have that, but it must be fantastic. If you yeah. Do. Well, look, here's the thing, because when you talk about what it's like to have that feeling, uh, that feeling of, oh, I can do no wrong. The, the sad fact of the matter is, is, Chris, that there's real world examples to white people time and time again that maybe just maybe the rules don't apply to them like they do to everybody else. And this is the example I'm going to give you is this case of a young fraternity president who was found guilty of raping and drugging a young lady and basically sent upon his merry little way with a $400 sentence and some probation. This is disturbingly lax treatment for a vile sexual assault of that nature, is it not? It is, Shaggy. Again, um, Jacob Walter Anderson, who's now 23 years old, was given a $400 fine, recommended three years probation, ongoing psychological, alcoholic, and substance abuse counseling, um, not registered as a sex offender. And all this privilege, and it is privilege, I'll give a damn what people think about it, it is privilege to go through this. And this may be more prevalent than we're allowed to see. This may be the main, main thing going on. Now, here's the thing that I thought was interesting. So the judge has approved probation for men accused of assaulting Baylor students mm-hmm. during this time. And I believe the judge is a former Baylor alumni. Okay. So this now, is who, kind of a little nepotism, is it not? Exa- exactly. And, it, and I haven't got the whole information in front of me, but I thought about it. Maybe he he's doing it only for representation nepotism of Baylor, but maybe because I w- I'm wondering if, if he himself had committed to a fraternity. Now, this is the thing. If fraternity or not, a judge is supposed to uphold fair and equal application of the law depending on the severity of the crime. Knowing what this gentleman 
did, and okay, knowing what this rapist druggy did, this alcoholic rapist did, let's just call what? it what it is. What? Knowing what he did, Chris, did he get fair and equal application of the law? For him. See, that goes back to the judge's mentality. With the judge, is it law first and then doing the right thing, or is it fraternity first, then the law? So we don't know what his mentality is. If this is true, that he has approved probation for men accused of assaulting Baylor students, then he's obviously showing nepotism, like he said, favoritism, and he's judging the law as he deems it, not as the law itself. Yeah. Now, when it comes to the law itself, let's just go ahead and say that if somebody with a little bit more color to their skin had created anywhere near half of the charges that he generated, they would have been thrown under the jail. Am I right? They would they would be uh, destroyed and put into cremation to help the cement to make the jail foundation. And not only that, Saggy, if it was a black man and a white student, oh, you can forget it. Oh, God, I know. You can forget it. No. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's a done deal. Yeah, let's not forget the infamous Duke Lacrosse case and how long that took to resolve for right. a really crazy reason. But this 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 case particularly bothers me because, look, I try time and time again to come on this program and say, hey, America's getting better. America is getting more equal. Oh, my God, look, not too long ago we celebrated things like marriage equality and we're, we're, we're working towards all this progress. Now Donald Trump's come along and time and time and time again, I find myself going in front of people and saying, look, I don't know what's wrong with these honkies. I, I, I'm... I'm seriously over these crackers. I have tried my best, and I just don't know what to do. Chris, when it comes to the kind of message that we're sending out to other races in this country right now, do you think that we're showing them all men and women are created equal, or are we showing them a very scary, scary path that America seems reluctant to turn off of? I think we're doing the latter. I think that we're holding up a mirror to America. And reflection is not well to, to, to witness and see. So I think what we have to do continuously is to let people know about your surroundings, other surroundings in different other cities and states, because that helps us become more connected to us all. The Internet is a great thing when great people are a part of it. So it's all a mixture of, you know, who you are and what you are. And then you have people, of course, who are just, I don't know, just, you know, you know, stupid, yeah, asshole people that get on the Internet and do their thing and become cyber bullies and the like. So it's a great thing for educating us all. But don't be surprised if people out there have an ulterior motive. Now, this is the thing, because I, there's also a very interesting angle of this. This guy was a president of a fraternity. And if you know anything about the college experience and fraternities in general, this is where the next generation of business acumen, governmental leaders, doctors and lawyers, this is where our leaders come from. And in kind of a big, big expose story this week that I put up on the Shaggy Jenkins uh, show page on Facebook, there was pictures of ritualistic hazing, ritualistic uh, overconsumption of alcohol, things that, well, you know, like showing penis and running around mm -hmm. naked, things like this behavior is just, just 
almost to the level of illegality, encouraged in massive amounts of numbers. And Chris, time and time again, these people that come from these debaucherous, horrible, horrible fraternities end up being the guys in charge of how life is in America. So with this latest case of a 23-year-old guy that's getting $400, three years probation for drugging and raping a girl, one day, because he's not a registered sex offender, and eventually this stuff can go back, and there will be some lawyer that does this, goes back and tries to expunge it from his record, this cracker is going to go ahead and skate through life unharmed. Yet he's done permanent damage to his victim. So I'm just going to bring up a, a, a very, very simple question that I, I'm going to ask directly from my people to everybody else. And Chris, you're the representation of everyone else. Look, is it safe to say that white privilege is something in, institutionalized in the United States and that very horrible people use it to get by when they create uh, atrocious acts like this young man, and then later go on to make decisions about all of us. Yes. No. Because it's, gener it's generational. So you got to think of what you just said. We mentioned about these people becoming, you know, future lawyers, future doctors, or administrators and everything else. Depending on who they are, they can go into their uh, respectful, uh, respective jobs and do quite well and, and, and flourish. But going back to the whole privilege thing, when you have someone like, for example, the, the, this judge uh, who pretty much, not even going to slap on the wrist, just open the door and say, walk through it and you're free. In that situation, somebody got to replace him. So who's to say that somebody else coming behind him has those same quote-unquote core values of entitlement, of look out for your own, things like that. It's generational. It would surprise me a bit. Now, this is the thing, too, is because fraternities for decades, okay, let's just be honest, for centuries, have institutionalized mm -hmm. kind of this uh, fake elitism amongst its members. And, and when it comes to fraternities in the United States, a country that is, let's just go ahead and say, overwhelmingly despairing against minorities entering the college experience in meaningful numbers, fraternities mm -hmm overwhelmingly are starting to become the breeding ground for white hate leaders of tomorrow. And Chris, nobody's pulling any checks on this. So should we be worried right now? We should be concerned, yes. Absolutely. And let me put this in the table as well, the table. Uh, I know people personally, like my cousin and a good friend of mine who works in you know different fields, that they were a part of fraternity and sororities type. They do the great things in the community. I've seen it myself. And I think what happens is that on a national front, you get that tarnished stain because not all fraternities and sororities are like that. But when people look at it from one broad brush perspective, they tend to say whitewash or blackwash or whatever brush you have, the whole thing. And let's not forget that there's also rumblings when it comes to white fraternities and black fraternities and other fraternities of people of color. They they rock and roll with each other too. They they have differences, and there's still race problems within the fraternities. It's a damn shame, but you know, hey, I'll go back to what Doctor West said, Doctor Cornell West, before he lost his mind. Uh, we had a book called Race Matters. Okay, that's a must. That's a must read. I, I highly recommend that book.
Well, this is the thing, because we're going to run out in time here. So in about 30 seconds or less, Chris, with all of these headlines that we have just went through, is it safe to say that America still hasn't learned from its racist past? And this week has given us some very terrible lessons in that. It's terrible lessons and racism will always be alive and well as long as it's taught. I'll take this time to say the following for people out there who have lost a loved one to uh, any form of destroying themselves or suicide. National Suicide uh, Prevention Hotline, 1-800-273-8255. Please call them. Yeah. Hey, and for everybody, thanks for joining us for this weekend review. We've got to go. Until next time, love you, mean it, Kate and bye. We're out.